Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. One of the most important questions that I think that everyone should consider is why they are here. And what I mean by that is why did God make them? Why did God create this world at all? And why did he create us to dwell in this world? What are we doing here? I really believe that this is an important question that everyone needs to consider and really come to a conclusion on regarding because it truly can describe the very purpose for which we are here, why we are even here at all. When I consider a question like this, I really believe that the answer lies in the fact and in the reality that we have a God who is a person. And as a person, I believe that he wants to be known. I believe that he wants people to really know who he is. That he doesn't want to just exist, but that he wants to have others who exist as well, who know who he is, and not just know of him or know about him because they have to, but also to have a people who would know him because they want to. That would be unique, for him to have a people who would actually know him and have a relationship with him because they want to have a relationship with him. It would be very easy for him to just create more angels, for example. He could create more angels, and the angels apparently have no option in this regard. They are confronted with the truth and the reality of the existence of God. To them, this isn't even a question. But to us, it is a question. And I believe that the reason why it is a question for many people is because we have been given the right and the privilege to choose if we want to know our God or not. But of course, to have this right or to have this privilege to decide what we want to believe, in order to have that, there is going to be great cost involved. The cost, of course, that I'm referring to is the fact that there are many people who will not believe that there is a God. There will be many people who will not want to have a relationship with their God. So if he's going to give people the opportunity to choose and decide if they want to know him or even believe that he exists, then he also has to give people the right and the opportunity to believe that he does not exist. This is an important reality that has to be implemented in some way by our God. And I sincerely believe that the way that he has created this earth and the way that he has created us and the way that he has structured things, he has structured things in such a way that if people do not want to know him, they don't have to. They certainly won't be confronted with him any more than he feels is necessary, so that eventually, when they go to see him in heaven, he can at least tell them, look, I am fully confident that you had ample opportunity to know who I am, but you just simply decided to reject me and follow your own beliefs, follow your own way, indulge yourself in the world that I created, and reject my very existence. 
and because of that they can experience the judgment that he has prepared for them. But what we know and understand is that everyone who is born into this world is born into this world in a condition that they do not know their God. We do know that that is true. We can see that with the evidence that is presented, and of course it's revealed very clearly in the scriptures that people are born into this world spiritually dead without a knowledge of their God and cannot know who he is or the things of God unless they are resurrected by his very spirit, which is something that he is offering that is described as salvation. But again, the important thing to understand in this context is that in order to have a people who would choose to have a relationship with him, he has to first have a people who do not have a relationship with him and that would be confronted by the truth of his existence, be offered an opportunity to have a relationship with him, and then choose to know their God, to have a relationship with their God. That would have to be a choice. But the cost of this, of course, is that the Lord is going to have to permit the world to go in such a direction to become a place predominantly composed of people who do not know the Lord and who do not want to know him. He has to start with that. But I do believe that it is against his nature to create a world that is consumed with evil and sin so that he can have an opportunity to forgive that sin and invite people to have a relationship with him. And I do not believe that that is what he has done. I do believe that that would be contrary to his character. But instead, he created this world, put Adam and Eve here on this earth to start with and gave them an opportunity to choose to reject him, and they did. And through their rejection of him, the entire world was changed. And the entire world became a world of people who did not know their God and for the most part did not want to know their God. So the Lord did not start with that. He started with two people and he gave them the opportunity to choose. And they chose to reject the Lord. But he did not create us or he did not create people in a situation where they would automatically already reject the Lord. People were certainly born from Adam and Eve, but they were born spiritually dead, not knowing the Lord. But that was something that was the side effect of what Adam and Eve decided, not what the Lord decided. But of course, considering that this did take place, considering that this did happen, do you suppose that perhaps the Lord anticipated this? I personally believe that he did. I really do believe that the Lord was not caught by surprise, that he was not surprised that Adam and Eve chose to reject him. They, of course, did have a little bit of help. The devil was there in order to deceive them. But I sincerely believe that he was not caught by surprise and knew, he anticipated, that this would be the choice of Adam and Eve and the result of their choice would be the condition of the world that we see today. And so in anticipating this choice that Adam and Eve would make, I believe that our God provided a plan, or he instituted a plan, in advance of the creation of the world, knowing that the world would turn away from him, knowing that his creation would fall, relatively speaking. He knew this in advance, and so in creating the world, he created it with the expectation that he would be rejected, so that there would be people who would willingly accept him when they had the opportunity eventually presented to them. 
And so out of this expectation or out of this anticipation, the Lord provided or he conceived of at least, he planned to provide a Messiah, a Savior, somebody who would save the world, who would save the people in the world individually, not collectively, but individually he would save the people in the world if they would turn to him out of a desire to have a relationship with him, out of a desire to know him, that he provided a way, he came up with a way, he instituted a way before the world was even created. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. I believe that when he says at the end of verse 2 that it was through him, through the Lord Jesus, that he made the entire world, that what he meant by that was to say that he made the entire world with the expectation that the world would need a Savior. He made the world through the Lord Jesus, which meant that he made the world through the assumption or with the assumption that the world would need to be saved and the Lord provided a Savior before he even created the world because he knew that the world would need it. I believe that that's what he's referring to in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, that the Lord Jesus was created by our God in order to provide the world with an opportunity to be saved when the time would come. And the Lord Jesus, identified as the Son of God, would therefore inherit the world. He would be the inheritor. He would receive it freely. He would receive the entirety of it. Now, in the way that I mentioned that Jesus was created by God, I don't want you to be confused or uncertain by the way that I say that. What I mean is is that the concept of the Lord Jesus, the concept or the purpose of a Messiah, was conceived of and created by our God. I truly believe that Jesus is God. Or more correctly, if you were to speak of him from a Hebraic point of view, I believe that a more correct way of understanding the Lord Jesus is to say that our God, who has created this world, he decided to manifest in the flesh and dwell among us as a person, as the Lord Jesus, to live among us, to work with us, to speak with us, to relate to us, to hear us and for us to hear him, so that eventually, after living a life as a man, he would eventually die for the sins of the entire world, providing the propitiation for sins, and then he would offer to us the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam and Eve, the life of God that had been lost, he would restore that to us, make it available to us, to anyone who would be willing to receive it as a free gift according to his mercy and grace. As an act of mercy and as an act of grace, he has provided us with an opportunity to be saved. And if we will only trust and believe in him, then we can receive what he is offering and we certainly can be saved. So I believe our God, he who dwells in unapproachable light, decided to reduce the incredible, overwhelming nature that he has to manifest in a way that we can withstand and to take upon himself a name, a human name, the name of Jesus, so that he could identify with us, he could live with us, he could speak to us, we could speak to him. 
I believe that he did that personally. And so when he was here as the Lord Jesus, he was certainly God, the Creator, the Heavenly Father. To me, there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. And so don't be confused by verse 2 to say that the world was made through him and that Jesus is the inheritor of the entire world. I sincerely believe that what that means is that our God anticipated the need for a Savior. He provided the world with a Savior, which is himself. He decided that he would be the world Savior. And through his death, because he also resurrected from the dead, because you cannot certainly kill God, he also is the inheritor, the inheritor of all things in the entire earth. But, of course, the one who created this world certainly retains ownership and retains authority. It is not as though there are two different persons, the Father and then the Son, because the Son is the Father and the Father is the Son. If you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. The Son is the Father. If you continue to read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of, of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, to be the radiance of his glory, he certainly cannot be the totality of the radiance of the glory of God, because we would never be able to withstand that. The radiance of his glory and a representation of our God, to say that he is an exact representation expresses to me the fact that the Lord Jesus is the living God who has reduced himself in such a way that we can withstand his presence. But in the midst of that, the Lord Jesus is an exact representation of his nature, and if he upholds all things by the word of his power, he definitely is God, because our God reserves that for himself. He is the only one who has total power, and he does not share power. He manifested in the flesh and identified himself as Jesus so that we can see him and know him for who he is. And when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that doesn't mean that if you go up into heaven, you're going to see the Lord Jesus as a younger fellow sitting to the right of an older fellow that we're going to identify as the father. Another way to look at this is for me to say that when I go into heaven and I go before the throne of God, I do not expect to see three thrones. I do not expect to see three thrones. One that contains the father, probably some elderly gentleman in the middle, a younger fellow off to his right who is recognized as the Lord Jesus, and then what off to his left? We've got a little cloud or a mist of some kind that's hovering over the other throne that we'll call the Holy Spirit. I do not believe that we will see three thrones. It is an expression. It is an idiomatic expression that the Lord Jesus will claim all rights of enforcement and authority being at the right hand of the Father. It is only to say that our God retains all power and authority, that even though he took the time to reduce himself to live a life here on earth, manifest in the flesh and dwell among us, that doesn't mean he gave up his total power and authority. It just means that he decided to spend some time here as a person, and now he's done. Now he has accomplished what he came to accomplish. He has accomplished what he made the world for. And so now he lives out of the authority that he has. So when you go before your God in heaven, 
I believe you will see a manifestation of your God that will be a reduction of his incredible power and glory so that you can withstand his presence. And that may be the Lord Jesus who sees you. And what I mean by that is as we knew him here on earth, so you will also know him when you see him in heaven in a similar way. Whatever this is going to look like, of course, I cannot speak in great detail because we don't have a lot of details given to us. But what I do know is that my God will retain possession and authority of the entire earth and that he can claim it as if it is an inheritance that he has received freely, the people in it and the planet itself. But I do believe that the people in it is truly what he will value. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 It is written, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he say a few things? You are my son, today I have begotten you. To say that he is much better than the angels and that he has inherited a more excellent name than they opens the important subject of recognizing that the Lord Jesus is someone who we really do need to pay attention to. I mean, if we have a God who has created all things, if we have a God who created this world with the expectation that this world would fall into sin, that this world would need a Savior, and he provided a way by which it can be saved, if this is all true, and he himself is going to be that Savior, then when he comes, we should see him for who he is. But for those who don't truly understand the depth of the identity of the Lord Jesus, who he really is, It's necessary to really take him seriously. It's really necessary for people to take a moment and think about him very seriously. And I do believe that in the time when this letter was written, most of the Hebrews were not really thinking of the Lord Jesus in this capacity because they had seen him. They watched him grow up. They knew of his family. They watched him live. They watched him minister. They watched him die. And so I do not believe that the Hebrews truly had a complete understanding of who Jesus really was. They did not really know who he was. Even his disciples, towards the end of his ministry, as we see in the testimony of John and his gospel, towards the end of his letter, he expresses that the disciples spoke to the Lord Jesus, not really understanding that he truly was the Father, that he truly was God manifested in the flesh. And so even after he died and rose again from the dead, The Jews in that region, the Hebrews in Israel, still did not really see the totality and understand truly who he really is. And so because of that, I believe that's one of the motives of the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. One of his motives is to definitely drive the point home and make it totally clear that Jesus is God and that he is somebody who we should certainly pay attention to. Now, it can be very easy for a reader to go past verses 1, 2, and 3 in Hebrews chapter 1 and and miss out on what I'm referring to, which is why I believe that the writer has begun in verse 4 to really begin to build his case, to build a case to make a point, and that is that the Lord Jesus is someone who we should really take seriously, that he is God manifested in the flesh, yes, but for those of you who aren't really thinking of him in those terms... Let's start from the beginning. Let's start with the truth that he is definitely better than the angels. 
Again, in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, it says, Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up, like a garment they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? To none of the angels did he ever say that. But look at some of these important passages that are being described here. For example, in verse 6, he quotes, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. Worship him. Worship the Lord Jesus. He's referring to the Lord Jesus as somebody to be worshipped by the angels, which would mean that Jesus would have to be God. In verse 7, And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. For him to be identified as God and that his throne will be forever and ever, that should give you an indication that the Lord Jesus is truly the living God. And so certainly he is much greater than the angels. This is an important concept that the writer is presenting in Hebrews chapter 1, that the Lord Jesus is definitely greater than the angels and is again identified as the living God, someone who the angels are going to worship. And so, again, the Lord Jesus is someone who you should definitely take seriously, that you should really pay attention to and recognize that he is someone who is definitely unique and special, and in this case, he's actually your God, who decided to become a man, to live as a man, and as a man, he had a God. And he was recognized and identified as the Father. But that did not mean that there are two gods. It just means that our God decided to both live simultaneously, identifying himself as a son and as a father. And you probably think that God can't do that, but I would think about that a little bit more if that's what you believe. To suggest that there is something that God cannot do, I think, is something that you should be rethinking because I do believe that our God can do that, that he has no problem with doing that at all. And I do believe that that's what he did do as his process and methodology by which he would present salvation to the world that he created, who definitely needed it because he knew that the people in this world would need a Savior. To say that Jesus is greater than the angels 
is the beginning of a very important theme that the writer lays out in his letter to the Hebrews. First, he describes the Lord Jesus as being greater than the angels. And then he spoke about the Lord Jesus being greater than Moses. The Lord Jesus is then described as being greater than the high priest. And then the writer talks about the Lord Jesus as being greater than Abraham. And so while the writer does start out initially by laying the claim or establishing the claim, proclaiming that the Lord Jesus is actually God manifested in the flesh, he does take the time to build his case a piece at a time, speaking about the Lord Jesus as someone who people should definitely take seriously. Now, one thing that I have mentioned that many people will recognize is the debate that often takes place in theological circles concerning the identity of the Lord Jesus with respect to the subject of the Trinity. Many people do believe in something called the Trinity, which is to say that there are three personalities or three persons of a Godhead that collectively are God, almost like saying that there's a heavenly committee. And if you were to ask many Trinitarians if they believe that there are three gods, they would most certainly deny that they believe in three gods. In fact, I do believe that many of them do not believe in three gods. However, what they say, what they communicate, and how they actually live and interpret the scriptures, I do believe turns out to be a belief in three gods, but that's that's a debate that will quite likely never be resolved. I have produced a set of programs on the subject of the Trinity, and so if you would like more information concerning this subject or to hear what I believe concerning this subject with more detail, then I would like to encourage you to get a hold of that series of programs. I do believe that that would give you more information concerning this subject if it does interest you. And even if it doesn't, there are many people who do believe this subject is extremely important. They will want to discuss it with you or perhaps debate with you over it. And so I can give you some ideas concerning this subject that you could pursue, that you could consider, that can give you some greater insights with regards to the person of Christ Jesus. But I am out of time for this broadcast, and so I will continue with Hebrews chapter 1 in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.